So, love to hear you sing today. I feel, I just came back from speaking at Camp Barakel, and I feel like I finished a marathon. I took my vacation weeks, or some of them, and I traveled around speaking to young people and to families in four states, one in Ohio, two in Michigan, one in Wisconsin. And my goal in life is to nudge everybody I meet just a little bit closer to Jesus every day. And I tried really hard to do that this summer. This week, I was at my beloved Camp Barakel up in the northern tip of Michigan by the waters of Sheer Lake, nestled in the Huron National Forest, one of the sweetest places on earth. And uh, it is the place where years ago I introduced our firstborn to a counselor girl that I met there. This week, I brought their offspring to camp. Can you imagine that? With me, their son, two of their sons came with me this week up to Camp Barakel. And last week was my 23rd year in a row to get to speak up there. I was a young man when I started going up there uh, to Camp, uh, camp Barakel. On the last night of camp, there's always a fire bowl, and it's an opportunity for campers to give their testimony about how the Lord worked in their life. It's really sweet to listen to the kids, but often you will hear them say, I feel like I have a fire burning in me. How do I keep it burning until next year? And I took that question and I wrote a book about it called Between the Fires, 50 Camp Lessons. And in the book, what I did was I tried to take 50 of the things that the Lord helped me to arrange the truth of Scripture and deliver it in such a way that young people would be uh, influenced by, impacted by, and I put them in, in a book there. And then we base this series on the same idea. Don't worry, there are not 50 parts to this series. There are not 50 parts. We'll go through perhaps Labor Day weekend, and then we'll probably jump into the book of uh, First Peter. But right now what we want to do is we want to review what we've talked about so far this summer. We've been in this series of messages called Between the Fires, and it's how to keep the fire of your faith burning all of your life. So let's review. Let's refresh your memory by way of review. So step one was be saved. Be, ge- be see to it that you are genuinely saved. You want to have the fire of your faith burning all your life? You have to have a fire of faith burning in you. Step two is consecrate yourself to God. And we use the example of Jacob in the Bible about verbally consecrating yourself to God. And, and step three, uh, message number three, was see, to commit to practice seasonal renewals of consecration. Now, on our back table, this is one way that you could do it. and It's only one, but it is a good way. On our back table is a brochure for Camp Barakel's fall retreats. Um, one of our former associates, Michael Bresna, is now the pastor at the Mayfair Bible Church, and he's speaking at a men's retreat. Our, bear, our men are going to that retreat in October. It would be awesome if you would join us. We have a ladies' retreat uh, also, and you can get the brochure. You can sign up. That would just be one way of doing that. There are also retreats at our Camp Sela, um, as seasonal retreats, fall retreats, a little bit closer and easier to get to. These would be ways. These are things that I think are a way to keep your campfire burning because the Bible, even from the beginning in the Old Testament, talks about the, the, the seasonal renewals of consecration when there were seven feasts of Israel and three of them, people would go up to Jerusalem and they would essentially camp out. And so camping is in the Bible, you see. And uh, 
And so I would suggest that, that you do that. I, I, I was uh, creeping on your Facebook this week, and I noticed, uh, I think Ricky, you, Becky said she went to a Mercy Me concert. And she said it was like that seasonal renewal of consecration for her. Right here at the Jackson County Fair, uh, the gospel went out. Isn't that sweet? And, and sometimes that's the way it is. For some people, a, 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 a concert can be a, a, a touch point of renewal. Figure out what it is for you, seasonal renewals of consecration. And number four, message number four was weekly reminders of eternal things are, are just faithful faithfulness on the Lord's day to be with God's people. And the scriptures teach that. And then, and then the fifth message was daily habits of the heart. So you see how that worked, right? It's like one-time salvation, consecration of yourself to the Lord, seasonal renewals of consecration, weekly reminders of eternal things, daily habits of the heart. You see where we're going with this, right? And that brings us to the apex of all of it and to the message today. And that is, uh, number six, learn to live in moment-by-moment intimacy with God. Let me tell you the structure of my message so all of you left-brain people will not get all freaked out about what I'm doing, all right? So here you are. Here's what I'm going to do. What I want to do is just show you this in the Scripture in a survey style. I want to go through the Scriptures. Now, I could show you many examples. I'll show you a handful of examples right through the Scripture of this ultimate goal, if you will, of living in a moment-by-moment fellowship with the Lord. I'm going to take a survey of the Scriptures and show you that and embedded in that survey toward the end, I'm going to give you three ways to cultivate or deepen your intimacy with God. So a survey of scriptures about the fact that intimacy with God or love for God is the goal for people all throughout the Bible, an ongoing mindfulness of God. And then three practical things the scriptures teach about how to deepen your intimacy with God. And then we'll end with a, with, a, with a series of prayers here today. We'll, we'll end the message with a prayer, and then we'll have a, a farewell prayer for uh, the Kelly family, and then we'll have a blessing prayer uh, before you go home. So when I look uh, into the Scriptures, I see that a key in the Scripture is that we were made to love God. And this is the most important thing I'm going to say to help you keep the campfire burning all your life. Love for God is what the campfire is. The campfire this, that we use, this phrase, isn't that emotional feeling when you get that you're at camp or that emotional feeling that you have in a revival service. That's certainly icing on the cake. That's valuable. And an ongoing love for God will certainly touch our emotions, but it's much deeper than that. Emotions are surely a part of it, but it goes way beyond emotions. It would be what Jonathan Edwards called the religious affections. We might call it passion for God or, or love for God. In the New Testament, it's variously called communion with God or walking with God or abiding in Christ or fellowship. It has different names in the New Testament. When I talk about keeping the campfire burning all your life or keeping the fire of your faith burning, this is what I'm talking about. I'm talking about a lifelong love for and a continual trust in God. And that's what we're driving at today. I want to show you in the Bible that the Bible teaches that we should cultivate a lifelong, moment-by-moment love for God and a lifelong, moment-by-moment, continual practice of trusting God. That's what we're going to do today. We're made to love God. We're made to walk with God. We're made for fellowship. We're made for friendship. We're made for intimacy with God. We're not complete unless we experience that intimacy with God. So here you are with Adam and Eve in the garden the progenitor of the whole uh, Jewish nation. So uh, Abraham, 
uh, Moses, Enoch, Job, all throughout the Old Testament. Adam and Eve in the original garden, they enjoyed this fellowship with God, this intimacy with God. They walked with God in the cool of the day. When they sinned, their intimacy with God was interfered with. The enjoyment of their fellowship with God was broken. But it was obviously the highlight of their day to walk with the pre-incarnate Christ in the, in the cool of the day. The great patriarch Abraham, progenitor of the whole Jewish nation, was called by God to enjoy the blessing of God and to bless all the families of the earth. And Abraham was called what? One of the things he was called was a friend of God. An emphasis on his relationship. Moses, God gave the law and delivered his people from bondage through Moses. And Moses had an intimate fellowship with God. All his life, his face showed the evidence of his fellowship with God. It glowed with the glory of God. He met God face to face. Intimacy with God. Enoch was called a friend of God. He walked with God and God took him. Job was called a friend of God. Even though he had to endure devastating hardship, he never renounced his love for God. He never abandoned his trust in God. Job loved God and kept in fellowship with God. Don't forget, Job, he has been, don't, don't feel too bad for him, because he has been enjoying unbroken bliss in the presence of God for thousands of years now. I promise you the pain of his losses and hardships were forgotten immediately upon entering the presence of God multiplied human lifetimes ago. Our family, as you know, testified often went through a great hardship or injustice, which was the reason that we were actually available to this church. And it was real and it was painful. But now it's a story that we love to tell. The darkest hour of our life is now a story that we love to tell. Last night, I did the wedding of Charles Perlos, who I bought Bittersweet Farm from. And some of you know that Charles Perlos was a came to follow Jesus, and he was baptized here in our church. He died of cancer, and we did his funeral. His daughter, Lindy, was married. They asked me to, uh, to do that wedding last summer. This summer, last night, I was invited back to Ohio to do it again because I didn't do it well the first time. <laughs> I, no, they, were, they didn't have the COVID thing. They couldn't have people. So they had me come back, and, and it, was a, it was quite an affair. And, and it was fun to sit there and for people to come up with friends of Charles Perlos, who was in my book that I wrote about this terrible hardship that we went through. Over and over again, people came up to me and said, you're the bittersweet guy. You're the bittersweet guy. I read that book. I love that book. You're the bittersweet guy. Isn't that interesting? Someday you will love to tell about your darkest trials if you trust God. Someday they will be your favorite stories. Isn't that sweet? Think about that. So Job here, he was called a friend of God. David, the mighty king of Israel, he was called a man after God's own heart, even though his sins were serious and egregious. Still, David's heart was tender to God. And he spoke of God, and he sang of God, and he wrote of God in the most affectional terms, in the most intimate terms. David's psalms are intimate. Listen to this one. Bless you. As the deer pants for the flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God like a living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night. While they said, where is your God? He spoke of God in intimate terms, in affectional terms. Psalm 63 is another example of the many that we could give, including our text we read today. Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. 
My soul thirsts for you. My flesh pants for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So I've looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory. Because of your steadfast love is better than life to me. My lips will praise you, and I'll bless you as long as I live. And in your name I'll lift up my hands, and my soul will be satisfied as with food, fat and rich food. My mouth will praise you with joyful lips. When I remember you on my bed, meditate on you in the watches of the night. You have been my help. And in the shadow of your wings, I will sing for joy. My soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. Do you see what I'm saying? David was a man after God's own heart. And when he talked about God, it was with affectional terms. Because David understood this. Even though he, like we, are, was imperfect. He understood that the heart of following God is loving God. So there in Psalm 139, Take a look in Psalm 139 for a moment here. And I, and I want to, matter of fact, I'll just tell you, years ago, God used Psalm 139 in my life in a very powerful way. And then when I would go and speak to young people, I would always want them to see Psalm 139. I was speaking at a camp once, and the director came up to me after I spoke on Psalm 139. He said, you know what you could do? You could preach that same message to every week of campers that we ever have. Every group of campers needs to know that about God. Because David is expressing his affection for God. In Psalm 139, he says that God knows me and understands me. Oh, Lord, you've searched me. You've known me. You know when I sit down, when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search my path, my lying down. You're acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word was on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you knew it all together. You had me in be behind and before you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It's high. I cannot attain to it. What is David saying? God knows me. God understands me. I like to tell campers, you aren't old enough to understand yourself yet. But the, way to under the best way to understand yourself is to get to know the one who knows you better than you know yourself. And the intimacy with God that you have will help you to know God. It will help you to know yourself. It will also help you to understand your world. Then chapter Psalm 139, verses 7 through 12, they teach something else. Where shall I go from your spirit and where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there, your hand will lead me and your right hand will hold me. If I say, surely the darkness will cover me, the light about me be night. Even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is as bright as the day, for darkness is as light with you. So God knows you. And God says, I will always be with you. If you take the wings of the morning and if you dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, he'll always be with you. And then verses 13 through 16, he custom made you. You formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame wasn't hidden from you when I was made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there were none of them. David says, God understands me. God is with me. God custom made me, or, you know, orchestrated providentially all the days of my life in a mystery. 
that we don't fully understand. Do you see what I'm saying? When David talked about God, he talked to him in intimate, personal, affectional terms. People that know God, know God like this. They love God, and they know that God loves them. And he goes on, the, the proof of that is verses 17 and 18. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. If I count them, they are more than the sand. I awake and I'm still with you. What if I came home from being gone on the road for two weeks and I said, Lois, I haven't thought about you for two weeks. I just would say, it probably would, I'd probably have to do my own laundry for a while. I, I would probably have to take care of my own meals for a while. I'd probably have to sleep on the couch for a while. That wouldn't be true. I'd think about her all the time. I always think, oh, I'll send her a picture of that. I want her to see this. If you love somebody, your thoughts are always on them. God's thoughts are always on you. That's amazing, isn't it? How sweet is that? This is the way David talked about God. And then there was that imprecatory piece, which is a big Bible word for the mean psalms, when you're calling down like, oh, God, I hate your enemies, and you hate my enemies. So there's that, because that's the way life is. There's sin in the world all around us. There's sin against us. There's sin within us. It's just the way the world is. But it ends in this interesting prayer, search me, O God, know my heart, try me and know my thoughts and see if there's anything grievous in me, a grievous way in me, because I want you to lead me in the way everlasting. Here's what, I, here's what I tell kids at camp and have for years. I tell them this. I say, look at all that David said about God and then notice his prayer at the end. It's almost as if David is saying, oh, God, if you love me that much, I don't ever want anything to come between us. And that is why preachers that have any sense make a big deal about sin, because sin breaks our sense of fellowship with God. Sin breaks an unbeliever's fellowship with God, all the possibility of it altogether, unless, of course, Jesus pays for that sin. And so this is an example of the wording of David. Search me, know my heart. You see the intimacy of it. The Apostle John, go to the New Testament, the Apostle John loved to call himself the disciple whom Jesus loved. That's kind of cute, isn't it? I'm the one, you know, the one that Jesus loves. He loved to be physically close to Jesus. Wasn't intimidated about that. Spoke about him in affectional terms all his life. Even to old age, he wrote about him in the most affectional terms. The Gospel of John tells the story. The Apocalypse of John reminds us that Jesus is standing at the door, knocking at the door of the church, and anyone who invites him in can enjoy fellowship, intimacy, communion, love with God. This is the main theme of the Bible in John 15 and the Gospel of John in chapter 15 in the passage about the fruit and the vine. He said over and over again that, that, that nothing in the Christian life is possible unless we, he used the, term, the phrase, unless we abide in Christ, like live all the time in him, like moment by moment intimacy, moment by moment mindfulness of him. He described the whole Christian life as walking with Christ or walking in love or walking in the light or living with and in and for Christ. If you read the promises and the warnings attached to what John called abiding in Christ, then you realize that John knew the Christian life is nothing more and nothing less than keeping in love with Jesus. Keeping the fire of faith burning is staying in an unbroken sense of fellowship with Christ. He called it abiding in Christ. Abiding is living in Christ. It's not an occasional duty or meeting that you attend when you aren't busy, you know, with other things you'd really rather do. 
Peter learned to love God deeply, even though he was very imperfect, when Jesus restored Peter, remember after Peter's denial that the Lord had predicted, he did, he restored, he did it in the most intimate way. He restored Peter to himself over an outdoor breakfast by the shore on the Sea of Galilee early one morning, and he did it with a simple phrase repeated three times. You remember the phrase? Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? Sit by the fire. Listen to the waves lapping and the fire leaping. Smell the breakfast cooking. Maybe there was coffee, I don't know. And hear that, hear that phrase spoken to you. Imagine Jesus looking at your eyes going, like, I know you know theology, but, and I know you serve, and I know you give. Do you, do you love me? you still love me? Or, or maybe you can't even look at his face because of the shame of mistakes that you've made. And he's like, look at me. Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? It's profound. Peter got that. God filled him with his Holy Spirit. He preached a thousand, used of God, wrote books of the Bible. He figured out whom having not seen, he said, we love. It is all about love for God. Eye hasn't seen, neither has ear heard, neither has entered the heart of man the things God has prepared for those who love him. All things work together for good to those who love him, who are called according to It's everywhere in the Bible. He loves you, you love him back. This is the heart of it. This is where we're going. This is the fire of faith. This is the campfire, if you will. So beautiful. So Jesus taught Peter that the essence of following, the heart of restoration after failure, can be illustrated by stirring up the embers of a low-burning fire. The heart of the Christian life can be summarized in this simple phrase, do you love Jesus? Luke noticed it and recorded a story in the seventh chapter of his gospel in the story of, remember this Simon the Pharisee and the sinful woman? She expressed her great gratitude and love for Jesus in pure and intimate acts of worship that would have made us uncomfortable to watch. Remember this. Then she's washing his, she's, tears are falling on his dirty feet. She's wiping that with the hair of her head. She's anointing Jesus and Remember the Pharisee looks at him and he thinks to himself, if he knew the kind of woman she was, he wouldn't let her do that. And then Jesus answered his secret thoughts with a story. There are two guys, and one got forgiven a lot, one got forgiven a little bit. Which one will, what's it, how, how's it go? Which one will, if a person is forgiven a big debt and another person is forgiven a little debt, Jesus said, which one will, anybody know? Can you, get, yes, that's it. Which one will love him more? And then listen to what Jesus said. He looks at the woman and he speaks to Simon the Pharisee, whose heart, whose head was full of Bible knowledge and his practice was full of busyness, but his heart was cold to God. Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, Do you see, listen to this, do you see this woman? Imagine hearing Jesus say these words I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You didn't anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. You see it? 
Luke wanted us to see it. He embedded it in a story. You have a special capacity to love God if you're aware that he's forgiven you a lot. But if your head is just full of theology and your heart is cold, you don't even get in on that love. You don't get that. And that's a tragedy. So learn from the sinful woman and the cold-hearted Pharisee. God is not honored by cold religious hearts that have never experienced the breathtaking mercy of God. Full heads and cold hearts don't honor God. Busy hands and cold hearts don't please God. They don't honor God. He's honored by the love of those he has forgiven a great debt. He sees our shame and our grief and our remorse and our penitence. He lifts us up to our feet. He holds us in his arms in an embrace. Then he sends us on our way under the wide open sky in the bright sunshine of his loving kindness. He's looking for men and women who love him out of grateful hearts because the debt he paid and the freedom from slavery of sin he offered when he redeemed us with the ransom price of his own blood. Paul understood it. We could do a whole message on Paul's expression of God's love and fellowship, but he understood the primacy of love, the priority of love. In his first letter to the Corinthians, he had a special way of describing being a Christian. He said it this way. This is 1 Corinthians 1, 9. God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his son. He, like, who are Christians? Those are the ones, you know, called into the intimacy with Jesus, called into communion with Jesus, called into fellowship with, with koinonia, with Jesus. He was not implying that... Uh, he was, uh, uh, he also said, my determined purpose, this is a, uh, the Phillips paraphrase of Philippians 3.10. He said, my determined purpose is to know him, the power of his resurrection, the fellowship, the communion of his suffering. He says, my goal in life is just to have that love, intimacy, tenderness, fellowship with God. Jude said, keep yourself in the love of God. He knew that God's love would never fail. He wasn't implying that God's love is fickle or fragile or temporary. He knew the human tendency to wander away from the influence and experience of God's love. He knew the human danger of letting our love grow cold and the fire of our faith to burn low. I've always said the sunshine of God's love shines through the windows of your life every day. Go curl up in the spot of sunshine and let the light of God and the love of God warm your soul every day before you go do anything else, like a kitten in the sunshine. Go curl up in the... That's what I think Jude was saying. The love of God's always going to be there flowing through the windows of your life. Go curl up in the sunshine of God's love. Keep yourself in the love of God to cultivate love and affection for God, to stir the fire of love. I want to highlight three things in Scripture necessary to deepen your love for God, your intimacy with God. Number one, time with God. Intimacy is deepened by time with God. My dad, his brother, my uncle Bill passed away, and my dad and I drove to his funeral a couple of years ago, a year and a half ago or so. And I thought, well, I will have the whole day with my dad, which is a real treasure. And of course, he was pensive and thoughtful because of his brother had gone to be with the Lord. And so I, I look forward to the time with my dad. And he's a go-getter. He's like uh, moving all the time, doing things. So the only way you can really settle him down and really get a chance to talk with him is get him in the car driving. You, have, you know somebody like that? They're always fixing something, doing something. I'm like, can we just talk? My dad's like, that's immoral. We don't just talk. We fix something, you know. So I got him in the car. I actually made a playlist of songs that we could play under that. I look forward to that trip with my dad. And then we just talked, you know, back and forth 
finished one another's sentences, spent that time together. It reminded me of my boyhood, just talking with my dad. I loved it. And a crazy thing happened. We we're about three hours into the trip, and I said, oh, I'm talking your ear off. And my dad said to me, oh, Kenny, I wish it was five hours further. I would love to spend the whole day talking with you. That's what God wants from you. Ah, oh, I could talk to you all day. I hang on your every words. I love you, and I want to have fellowship with you. Time with God deepens our intimacy with God. Second thing, transparency, honesty. You know, you're really open with somebody, and they still love you. That's what God said. You can tell me everything. You know what? He already knows. It's not like you're going to surprise him. He never went, oh. Nobody ever confessed their sins, and he went, oh, that's shocking. It's like, I already knew that because he knows stuff. But if we're open with him, John liked to call that, he was close with Christ. He called it walking in his epistle. He made a big deal of it. In the first chapter, 7 through 9, walking in the light is open honesty. If you want to be close with God, spend time with God. If you want to be close with God, be honest with God. Transparency, if you will. If you want to be close with God, here's the big one. Trust God. Trust and obey. There's no other way to be happy in Jesus. You ever hear that hymn? There's no other way to be happy in Jesus than to trust and obey. You don't love God if you don't obey his commandments. That's what Jesus said. And that, that doesn't mean like, I want to boss your life. And It means I know the way you trust me and you follow me. I know some of you right now, you got loved ones going through real trouble. You are going through real trouble. You have things hanging over your head that you never thought you'd have to deal with. Are you going to trust him? Your intimacy with Christ is deepened hugely when you trust him with your heaviest burdens. When you pray, Lois and I are just all, we've been, haven't we, Lois, the last three or four days, we just prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed. Because somebody we love needs help. And that deepens our intimacy with God. wonder sometimes if God doesn't let us go through stuff so that we would learn to get our roots down and pray and trust him. Trust Jesus, especially in our troubles. Isaiah 43 and verse 2 says, When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. When you pass through the rivers, they will not overflow you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be scorched, nor will the flame burn you. I love it in Hebrews 13, 5, where the writer of Hebrews quotes him. Jesus is saying, be content with what you have. Haven't I said, I will never leave you or forsake you. There was that story, you remember, of Pastor Samuel Chen, who'd been in the Chinese prison for 20-some years for preaching the gospel, and he had no place to have personal devotions. He didn't pray to get out of prison. He just said, God, please, could you arrange some way that I could be able to read the Bible and pray out loud and sing out loud. He told this story at the Luzon Conference on World Evangelism a number of years ago to thousands of people after, obviously, he was released. He said God answered his prayer. Because he was witnessing so much, they said, we've got to isolate him from the rest of the prisoners. He's influencing too many people. But they did it in a particularly cruel way. They put him waist deep in a huge cesspool of pool of human waste. And they said, your job is to scoop out the solids with a net. You'll have to do this a number of hours every day. And little diminutive pastor Samuel Chen stood there at that great conference. And he said, so I stood there and I was so sad that then one day I realized that God had answered my prayer and given me a place where I could praise him. Nobody wanted to be close to me. And he started, he broke into song 
He broke into the old hymn in the garden. He sang before those thousands of people, I come to the garden alone, and he walks with me, and he talks with me, and he tells me I'm his own. God will, your deep, your, your intimacy with God will be deepened when you trust him when you're in trouble. And it might be his design. John, Pastor John Ortberg said, many Christians expend so much energy worrying, trying not to sin. And the goal is not to try to sin less. In all of our efforts to keep from sinning, what are we focusing on? Sin. God wants us to focus on him, to be with him, to abide in him. Just relax and learn to enjoy his presence every day as a collection of moments, 86,400 seconds in a day. How many of them can you live with God? Start where you are, grow from there. God wants to be with you every moment. I on uh, usually Thursday night, this week Wednesday night at Camp Barakel, they have a tradition that the young men and the young women are separated and you speak just to the young men. I always speak just to the young men. And I have this sweet, iconic picture they took of this. I'll show it to you. It's amazing. Beautiful night. This rain had come through and there was a big fire going and the sky was purple and pink and beautiful right behind where I was speaking. And all these young men, high school-age young men, gathered. And I talked to them about personal things. I talked to them about, about the war that young men have, that, that young middle-aged and old men have with, with immoral thoughts. And I, and I said to them, there are weapons that you can use to fight these immoral lusts of the flesh that war against your soul. I said, you can use the weapon of prayer. You can use the weapon of obedience. You can use the weapon of meditation on truth. You can use the weapon of worship. But the most powerful weapon that you can ever use to fight any kind of sin is the weapon of intimacy with God. It's love. Loving God trumps everything else. When I love God, I don't sin. Jeremiah was deeply aware of this continual presence of God even in hardship and rejection. He said, can a man hide himself in his secret places so that I cannot see him, declares the Lord. Do not I fill heaven and earth, declares the Lord. So we live every moment in, draw every breath in, the full light of his presence. And we cultivate this moment by moment awareness of that. It will transform us inside out. So that's why the psalmist says, this is the day the Lord has made every day. This is a day the Lord has made. We'll rejoice and we'll be glad in it. And that's why Paul wrote to the Thessalonian believers in chapter 4 and 11, lead a quiet life, work with your hands. He said in another place, whatever you do, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all the glory of God all the time, all, the, all every, every place. So we go to mountains to get close to God. We go to oceans to get close to God. We go to the great lakes to get close to God. We go to camp and they're all wonderful, but most of us don't live near them. Christmas and Easter are wonderful days, but there are 363 other days of the year. It's good to have extraordinary times. It's good to have extraordinary places to meet God. But it may be more important for us to have ordinary places to meet God as a part of our everyday routine. A chair, a window, a cab of a truck, a car, a shower, bed, bedroom, kitchen table, and coffee. John Bailey wrote in the diary of private prayer, Give me, O God, this day a strong and vivid sense that you are by my side in multitude or in solitude, in business or in leisure, in my down-sitting and in my uprising. May I ever be aware of thine accompanying presence. By thy grace, O God, I will go. 
A.W. Tozer, a great Christian mystic and, and a, a pastor, uh, wrote a classic book, A Knowledge of the Holy. And he ended the, every chapter with a prayer. One, one chapter he ended with this prayer, Oh God and Father, I repent of my sinful preoccupation with visible things. The world has been too much with me. You were here and I didn't know it. I've been blind to your presence. Open my eyes that I may behold you in and around me for Christ's sake. Amen. And I want to close my message with a prayer for us. And I would like uh, all of the elders present just to get up right now and be making your way forward with, uh, right now even as I pray. So you come reverently while I pray. Join me now in prayer. God, help us to learn to walk with you in unbroken intimacy. Help us to experience and to enjoy fellowship with you. Show us the secret of communion with God. Give us a blessed sense in our hearts of the reality of our union with Christ. Help us to abide in Christ. Give us a blessed God consciousness in all that we do. Heighten our duties and our chores with the reality of your presence. Lighten our burdens with a mindfulness of your presence. Inspire our service with the vision of the joy that brings your heart. Infuse our prayers with the confidence that you're leaning toward us, listening with your heart. And remind us that even when we're surrounded by enemies, we live under the shadow of the Almighty. Help us to live Coram Deo in the, with a sense of your presence, your smiling presence, your love and unflagging mercy. Help us to bask in it like the first warm sunshine of spring on our neck. And help us to spend time with you and be transparent with you and trust you with all of our hearts. Lord, keep our love for you burning all of our lives through Christ our Lord. Amen. You want?